behind her. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Well, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in this place today. Um, I honor you, and happy Mother's Day to our bishop's wife. The whole church honors you, and we love and appreciate you very much. Let's give her a big hand. I do want to say that I touched base with Sister Veronica this morning, and she thinks she's going home in two days. So she is doing well. She's on the mend. In Jesus' name, we're so grateful for that. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you to my husband for the opportunity to speak today. Um, God gave me a word during pre-service prayer, actually our music department prayer, back in March, and I didn't even know I was going to be speaking, and I just had to get out my notebook and write some things down, and then he asked me to speak on Mother's Day, and I was like, okay, I actually have something I know that the Lord gave me. So it's my, uh, my earnest and humble prayer that I will convey and impart to you what God desires for us today, in Jesus' name. Let's go ahead and turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 7. We're going to read verse 1. And then we're going to skip down to verses 18 through 25. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. And it says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And we can go to verse 18. We will read through verse 25. And he, being Joshua, brought his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran unto the tent and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took him out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Verse 24, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all of Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. I know this is probably a little darker and deeper than a typical Mother's Day passage, but I, uh, this was the very first passage the Lord laid in my heart for this, and so I felt like I needed to go this direction. So let's go ahead and put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands, ask the Lord to be in the service today. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for what you are already doing in this place. We thank you, Lord, for the anointing of the Holy Ghost that has been in here since early this morning, God. I ask you in the name of Jesus, Lord, to anoint me, God. Help me to speak the words, Lord, that you wish for us all to hear today, God. In the name of Jesus, God, anoint every mind and body and soul today, God, to receive your word today. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you, God, for what you're going to do in each and every soul in this place, God. In the name of Jesus, and if you can give God a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
And you may be seated. So as parents, and especially as mothers, we receive a lot of unsolicited advice. And most of the time, it's well-meaning, but it can, feel, it can still feel like an intrusion. And I can understand both sides of the advice spectrum because I love to give advice. And not because I think somebody is doing something wrong. I just enjoy sharing what's working for me because it's working for me and I really want to make someone else's life easier. But I really hate receiving advice when, something, when someone is pointing out something that I am uh, doing wrong or because they have like been there and done that. And the advent of social media has definitely perpetuated unsolicited advice in my opinion. Like you can post a picture of your family on a road trip and you will get a million comments that are like, oh, have fun. But then you'll also get comments like, oh, her car, uh, her car seat straps look too loose. You make sure you tighten those up. Or, hey, that's a really cute water bottle. But if you want to be environmentally friendly, I love my new stainless steel flasks. Or, man, those are some yummy Cheetos. But have you tried the new organic cheese puffs from Annie's? Like, I promise you, it doesn't stop. And I, my girls are almost five, and I still do not post pictures of them in the van because I know someone's going to say, you need to move up those car seat straps. And I know, but maybe we're parked. Maybe we're stopped. You don't know. But this might seem a little extreme to you, but I promise you, unsolicited advice is real, and it definitely can be annoying. But one thing that should never be considered unsolicited advice is the word of God. The word of God should have the key to our front door, the key to our heart, and the key to our soul. And the word of God should be welcome at any time and in any area of our lives. Can you agree with me on that? When we read the word of God or when we hear the word of God, it should be a little uncomfortable. If what you're reading or what you're hearing never convicts you, or it never prompts you to change, or it never creates a desire for more of God within you, then you're either really not reading it, or you're really not listening, or you're really not being honest with yourself. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible itself says that the word of God is sharp, it pierces, and it divides. Those are uncomfortable verbs. If something is sharp, or in adjectives, if something is sharp and piercing, that hurts. The word of God should make us uncomfortable, and it should drive us to keep growing in God. And there is more to living for God than initial salvation. It requires a daily walk with God and a life that is full of prayer, full of Bible reading, fasting, discipleship, and kingdom service. And if you are a parent, your most important ministry is to raise your children to know, to love, and to serve God. Can we control what our children do when they become of age? No, of course not. We, have, we all have dear people in our lives who have walked away from God, and we pray daily for their return. But as a parent, it is my responsibility to do everything I can to make my house a house of prayer and a house where righteousness and holiness can be found and followed. Our children's salvation should be of the highest priority and should come before our jobs, practices, extracurricular activities, and so on. Because if they don't see that in our homes, 
They're not going to see it in the world. And God help us if our kids can't spot the difference between our homes and what they experience in the world. I'm not saying we can't go on vacation and can't be involved in recreational activities and, and clubs and all that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that nothing should ever take the place of regular church attendance and kingdom service. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon, and that mammon means man. Whatever we give our time and our talent to, that's what you're serving. Whatever you're making your priority, that's what you are serving. Whatever we put ahead of God, that's what we are serving. And what we model in our lives our kids are watching and learning. If I want my children to have a desire for God, they have to see, if I want them to have a desire for God, they have to see my desire for God. Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the God of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I am absolutely committed to serving God, and I am committed to my family serving God. And you know what? I think all of you want your family to serve God too, because otherwise, why would you be at church today? But coming to church is only half the battle. It's great that we show up, but living for God is more than attendance, and it's even more than church involvement. Like I said earlier, serving God does not stop at salvation. Our opening text tells the story of the children of Israel. They had won a battle, but they were commanded not to take any spoils. One man, his name was Achan, disobeyed the Lord's order. He took fancy clothes, silver, and gold, and he hid it inside of his home. Technically, he didn't steal it because when people won battles, they were allowed to confiscate the spoils. But this time, God had said, no, don't take anything. And Achan disobeyed the Lord. Achan, the leader of his home. Maybe I should have preached this on Father's Day. But Achan, the leader of his home, he brought disobedience into his home. It doesn't say Achan's wife. It doesn't say his kids. Achan brought it into his home. And because of it, his entire family perished. And his animals, his livestock, everything perished. Parents, mothers and fathers, if you're single mom, single dad, wherever you're at, we are responsible for what comes in and goes out of our home. It doesn't matter if our children are uh, newborns or toddlers or teenagers, what we have the say in what takes place in our home. If we don't monitor or if we're not comfortable with the clothes they're wearing, the music they're listening to, the shows and movies they're watching, the friends they spend time with, the words they say, the activities they're involved in, the celebrities they're following on social media, if we're not comfortable with that, you can put a stop to it. You're the monitor of your home. And for those of you that don't know, I'm a, I'm a public high school teacher. I've been in the public school system for 15 years. I've taught elementary and I'm now in high school, and I see a lot of things on a daily basis. And I just, I am, I, I tell you, monitor your children in the name of Jesus. It is our job and our right to protect our homes. We have every right to put a stop to something that is not of God. And I know some of you might be thinking, well, 
it's easy for you to say to monitor your kids. Your kids are four. Just wait till they're 14. And, you know, I, I realize that I am, my kids are four. But even now, Pastor and I have started instilling in them at a young age that there are certain things that they do and they don't do that are applicable to four-year-olds. For an example, um, personally, we do not let our children wear um, pants in public. And they go to a private school that lets have them have pajama day. And uh, their friends wear pajamas. But that's just something that I know that they're four, and if I let them wear pajama pants when they're four, as they get older, they're going to want to wear other pants that we also do not wear. And so at four, when it's pajama day, they have nightgowns, and they can wear leggings underneath of them. That's an example of something that we have started doing now with our four-year-olds, so that way when they're 14 and want to wear jeans but say, you let me wear pants when I was four, why we're not fighting that battle. So, again, that's just personal preference and something that we do with our children. But, and as they get older, we will continue to monitor and control what's applicable to them and to us. However, even though I, my children are four, I grew up in a home to two parents who were not ministers, who were not even raised in church. They got, they got the Holy Ghost right when they were getting married. Um, but they were faithful, kingdom-minded Christians. And they did monitor the clothes I wore, the movies I watched, the friends I hung out with, and all of that. And the monitoring didn't stop when I turned 13. It didn't stop when I graduated high school at 17 or when I got my bachelor's degree at 20. They controlled and monitored all of that until the day I married pastor and moved out of their house and when I was 23 and a half years old. That is when they said, okay, this is on you now. Did they give me a little bit more freedom and flexibility? Yes, but was I allowed to do whatever I wanted to do and wear whatever I wanted to wear? No, I was under their roof, and they had a say in my life. My parents, who were not raised in church, knew it was their responsibility to raise us according to God's word, no matter what. And when we pushed back, we meaning my siblings, they didn't give in. They gave us a choice. You follow our rules or you move out, like once we turned 18. And eventually, one of my siblings did have to move out of my parents' home. They did find their way back to God, thank the Lord, but it was due mostly in part to the consistency of my parents' training and prayers. I am 100% certain that if my parents had been lackadaisical in their training of us, then we would have always wondered if what they were teaching us was really from God or just some best practices. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, I'm sure many of you can quote a lot of this. Verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy, and on thy gates. In the very beginning of the Bible, we are instructed to teach our children. Teach them. Now, teaching is both active and passive. Passive in that, yes, our children will learn things from us just by picking up what they see us do and what they hear us say. But teaching is also very active. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm a, public, uh, I'm a public high school teacher. And I can guarantee you that um, you want your child's teacher to actively teach them to read and to do math and to write. 
If you walked into my classroom or their classroom and you just saw your, your child's teacher just sitting there reading a book, or you just saw them like over there doing some numbers on a calculator or writing a letter, you'd be like, what are you doing? And if they said, well, I'm teaching them to read, you're like, no, you're not. You're just, you're just reading a book. So teaching has to be active. Just as you expect your student, your classroom teachers to teach your children to read, write, and do math, you should expect nothing less of yourself when it comes to the things of God. We've all heard the adage, what comes in must go out. And this is true for what we allow into our homes as well. If the things of God are what are coming into our house, then the things of God will be the things flowing out of our house. But if we allow the filth of the world into our homes, the filth of the world is what is going to flow out of our homes. I had the privilege of growing up in the same church that uh, Pastor Joe Campatella grew up in, and many of you know him. He's a great man of God. He's blessed our church many times with his ministry at, at at Apostolic Praise. And growing up, when he'd come to our house, I always remember him remarking to my mom, there is such a peace in your home. You can just feel God so strongly in your home. And this wasn't something he said one time. He said it multiple times. It always stuck with me. And I knew that when I grew up, I wanted that same atmosphere in my home. And actually, he came over one time. I was like, please, Joe, say that, say that. And he didn't, but it won maybe one day. <laughs> but do you know why that atmosphere was present? Because my mother carefully guarded our house. She prayed daily in our house. Like she wept, snotted, spoke in tongues, travailed, interceded in prayer every day. And not only that, my parents monitored everything that was coming in and out of our house, the who's and the what's. My parents couldn't make us love God. They couldn't make us serve God. But that didn't mean they gave in when we pushed back and just let us go do whatever we wanted or say whatever we wanted. They held firm to the boundaries that they felt kept our home safe. And they raised us the best they knew how according to the word of God. Did they get it right every time? Of course not. None of us will. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God does not require perfection. He's just looking for his children to do their best each and every day. He knows that we will fall short, but that doesn't mean we should willingly fall short or fail. Deuteronomy chapter 13 verse 4 says, Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. Just as this verse says, We should endeavor to live a life and raise our children to live lives that walks after God, fears God, keeps God's commandments, obeys God, and serves God. A friend of mine shared a scenario with me that maybe you've heard before. If you were in your home and you saw a snake slithering around, what would you do? Kill it? Scream? Burn your house down? That's maybe what I would do. You do everything in your power to get that snake out of your home. Now, would you ever willingly give a snake to your children to play with? No, probably not. Maybe like if you raise them as pets and you're like that one in 10,000 person that has pet snakes, maybe. But in general, the answer is no. I'm not going to say, here, Everly and Ellery, this black snake isn't poisonous. You can play with it. It's not going to kill you, but don't let it bite you. No way. That's insane. We know that. All snakes bite even if they're not poisonous. But that's exactly what parents do and what we've all probably been guilty of with entertainment 
and internet usage and phones and things like that. We give our teenagers phones that have unlimited internet surfing capabilities and then tell them, don't get bitten, don't look at any sites that are ungodly, don't follow anyone who doesn't believe with our values. We let our children watch things, movies and shows that have iffy values interwoven all throughout them and tell them, don't get bitten, don't believe all what you're seeing. We don't do all of that in that movie. If we let our children do things and wear things and go places and hang out with people that don't line up with what pastor and bishop teach according to God's word, but then say, don't get bitten, it's okay if we go against this pastoral boundary or this biblical boundary, but it's still important that we obey Acts 2.38. What kind of symbols and signs are we messaging, are we sending to our children? I could list a million other scenarios, but I think you get the point. We do everything in our power to protect our physical homes from a snake. But are we fighting just as hard on the spiritual side? I know that I am just as guilty as falling short in this area sometimes. I, I know that I am. I am not perfect. I endeavor every day to make that day a better day than the day before. But I have heard it say repeatedly that people are more scared of sickness and COVID than they are of sin. But I would surmise that people are more scared of this physical world in general. They're more scared of politics and the world ending and all these things than they are of eternal damnation. I am determined to do everything in my power to raise my children in a home that puts God first. Putting God first might look different for each and every one of us according to personal standards that God has placed in our lives. But I will endeavor to hold firm to any biblical and pastoral boundaries that are preached from this pulpit and then continue to ask God, do you want more from me? But I start first. If the pastor or bishop says something and the Bible says something, that's the bare minimum for me. And then I ask God, God, what else do you want for our family? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which, which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The Bible equates our salvation to running a race, and it says we have to lay aside every weight and sin. We've all seen runners. Maybe you run. I do not. Uh, I've run three miles, 35-ish minutes. That's like the max. I don't enjoy running. It's not fun. I like how I feel afterwards, but I hate every single minute of running. Uh, my parents and sister run. They run marathons, and I just don't understand why you'd want to practice running for five hours on a Saturday and Sunday for years. Like, that just doesn't sound fun to me. Um, I, like, if I guess if we were running around Target or something, I might enjoy that, but no. But anyway, but I do know that my parents – uh, when I've seen them run, they don't run with a lot of things. Like, they're wearing the bare minimum clothing. Obviously, if you're a modest person, you're wearing the bare minimum modest clothing. But they're not carrying backpacks. They're not even carrying water bottles with them. They have, like, at races, there's water stations. And you're running, grabbing a cup of water. You're drinking. You're throwing it on the ground. You get to litter when you're in a race. Um, but they're carrying the bare essentials. In this passage, God is telling us that in our walk with God, not only do we have to remove all the sin, it says let us lay aside the sin, but it also says we have to let go of every weight. And weights are not necessarily sins, but they are things that can get in the way for our love for God and for our service to him. It is imperative that we remove all sins from our life. We're not going to go to heaven if there is sin just hanging out in our lives. 
And the sins are the things that normally pastor and bishop and the other ministers will teach on from the Bible. They're going to preach on sin. But God's word also says we must remove any weights that are hindering us in our walk. And that's where your personal devotion to God and your reading of the Bible and your prayer, you're like, okay, God, what else do you want from me? What else do you want from my family? What else do I need to keep from coming into my home or leaving my home? During the Passover in Exodus 12, the Lord was going to smite the Egyptians by killing their firstborn. How were the children of Israel who were living in the land of Egypt protected? What did they have to do? Yep. They were instructed to go inside their homes, offer a sacrifice to God, and put the blood of the sacrificial lamb on their doorposts. And they were instructed to stay inside their house, not letting anything go in or go out until the morning. We may not have, do that exact uh, ritual in 2021, but the symbolism is still there. Our homes should be a place of sacrifice. And there should be obvious signs of Christian living in our homes. And we must be diligent about what is coming into our homes and what is going out of our homes. Like I said, salvation is the first step in our walk with God. But there is so much more to living for God than salvation alone. And if we want our children to have the best chance of living for God, we must be the keepers of our homes. Worship team, if you would please come. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 say, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Not only should we be protecting our physical homes, but our bodies should also be temples, a.k.a. homes of the Holy Ghost. When we obey the gospel and fulfill God's plan for our salvation, then our bodies become his home and it's our duty to protect them as such. In Acts chapter 2, Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, and the, cl- the crowd realized that they needed to be saved. So they asked, hey, you know, what's, what's required of us? Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 42. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise, the promise of salvation, is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So when the crowd heard Peter's sermon, they obeyed uh, God's plan of salvation. They repented, they were baptized in Jesus' name, and the Lord filled them with the Holy Ghost. Then Luke said that they didn't stop there. They continued on in the apostles' teaching and in personal devotions. Salvation was and continues to be the first step in our walk with God, but they kept growing in God. As they continued in the word of God, the word of God kept drawing them closer It kept creating a hunger for more of God, and it kept them alert and aware of the things that were in their homes and in their lives that were not aligning with his word. That uncomfortable stirring, that conviction we feel, that's the word of God exposing those weights and those sins and those barriers that are holding us back. 
I don't know about you, but I need more of Jesus. I need more of his word in my life. I don't need to be comfortable where I'm at, but I want God to stir my spirit and stir my soul for more. Like the psalmist David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In closing, if you would all mind, wouldn't mind standing with me today. We are all in different stages of life in this place today. Uh, physically, we have college students, we have young parents, older parents, grandparents, and we have everything in between. And spiritually, some of us are just starting out. Some of us have been serving God for decades. But regardless of our physical and spiritual ages, it is imperative that we, that we guard our homes. We have been promised salvation, and we must do everything in our power to protect that promise of salvation. Salvation is the highest priority. We have to do everything to be saved. We must repent. We must be baptized in Jesus' name, and we must be filled with the Holy Ghost. And these steps, they don't always happen on the same day. That's okay. They can happen on the same day, but sometimes repentance comes, and then a little while later, baptism comes, and then Holy Ghost comes. But then once we're saved, it's vital that we protect our spiritual homes by continuing to grow in God, by praying and reading His Word, and serving his kingdom. Beyond that, if you are a parent or your children are still under your roof and your authority, then it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility to do everything in my power to lead my children to salvation. I can't make them be saved, but I must do everything in my power to give them every opportunity to be saved. Examine your physical homes. What are you letting in? What are you letting out? Let's do some house cleaning and let's guard and protect our homes. Our altars are open today. I'd invite everyone to come forward and take that next step in God. If you'd like to come forward as a family and as a symbol of reconsecrating your house to God, you are welcome to do that. Pray about what God is asking your family to do or to give up, what he is requiring of you. If you're brand new in your walk with God and you want to take that next step, we invite you to come and our ministers are happy to pray with you over whatever need you might have. If you need to repent, they can walk you through that. If you want to be baptized, we have ropes today. But if you just need something from God and you just want to pray, you are welcome to come up. If you don't want to come to the altar, I challenge you to just take a step forward, one or two steps as a show to God. God, I need something today. I need your help wherever you're at. God will meet you where you're at. Don't let today pass you by without reaching out to him. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let's worship the Lord together. Come on, you want to gather together as a family? Come on, in these last days, we need our families to be saved. We need God's protection upon our lives, our children. Help us, Lord. Here we are today. Help us, Lord. Follow in your footsteps, God. Here I am. Give us knowledge and wisdom. Worship. 
worshiping you. In these last days, God, help us, Lord. Bye. 